Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 272, Rendezvous with Mars. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. We're continuing with a reboot of our series that outlines a human mission to and from the Red Planet. This third episode features Patrick Chai, PhD, an aerospace engineer at Langley Research Center in Virginia. Chai covers the challenges and needs for getting humans to Mars and the options for propulsion duration, time, staging, and more that will need to be considered. This episode was recorded on February 4th, 2020. Let's get started. Patrick hones in on the challenges and needs for getting to Mars. The journey from Earth to Mars will be long, somewhere on the order of nine months. And with that comes a series of challenges, some complicated orbital mechanics, and a whole range of options that consider things like propulsion, duration, timing, staging, and more. Yes, thanks to probes and rovers of the past, we've landed on Mars. But a human landing will be like nothing else before. The transport will have to be much larger. And with humans on board, you're limited on the kinds of routes you can take to get to Mars. Sounds like a simple consideration. Yes, of course there will be humans, but it makes things a lot harder. Buckle up, everybody, and all aboard to the Red Planet. Here we go. The challenges and range of options on how to rendezvous with Mars with Patrick Chai. Enjoy. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Thanks for having me. This is a really interesting and intricate discussion we're going to have about what it takes to actually get to Mars. So I might go a little bit off track, but you're going to have to steer me to <laughs> Mars in the right way. Tell me about your background and, and what got you to the path where you're thinking about Mars Rendezvous. Well, I uh, haven't been at NASA very long. I've, I started in uh, the fall of 2014. I was a graduate student uh, uh, at Langley as well, um, uh, doing some um, system analysis for uh, different uh, refueling options. So I was, a, I was a grad student. I got my PhD from Georgia Tech. And the, Georgia Tech has a program at Langley uh, associated with the National Institute of Aerospace uh, where grad students can you know, be on site there at Langley doing research with folks. Um, and so it kind of gravitated me toward doing system analysis. So that's how I ended up uh, you know, applying for a job at the branch I am in, which is the Space Mission Analysis Branch. Hmm. And once I started there, uh, that's back when uh, uh, there was a big effort to, uh, defining what, we, what then was called the Evolvable Mars Campaign uh, as part of President Obama's um, a flexible path definition, you know, going to the asteroids and then, you know, having multiple paths, getting, getting, getting human to Mars. So, uh, I started doing a lot of the trajectory work, uh, for, um, for that evolvable Mars campaign, um, and doing the definitions of how to, you know, all the different mission opportunities and how much propellant it would take if we have, uh, you know, different payloads and things like that. So, hmm. um, that kind of evolved into me kind of being the lead of the uh, trajectory analysis team there for uh, for all the Mars stuff, and and now I'm leading the uh, Mars integration group here at at, uh, at NASA Langley. But I still want to do trajectory work because that's the most important. That's that's the <laughs> that's the exciting things that I, I, I like to do. Uh, uh, leading team is is great, but uh, 
It's like one of those curse, you know, you, you move up and you become manager and they don't get they don't, they don't let you do exciting work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you have to delegate. Delegate. Yeah, exactly. It's hard, man. Yeah. Learning how to delegate is a hard thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when you want to do. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so, so you, you mentioned, you alluded to a few different things mm -hmm. in your description of what you're thinking about. You're thinking about systems. You're thinking about trajectories. Mm -hmm. what, what are these different elements that you're considering when you're thinking, how do we get to Mars? So, uh, you know, for, for what we're thinking about here, it's always, you know, sending crew to Mars, right? So we have, we have a, 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 a propulsion element uh, that, you know, you need some sort of propulsion element to get you know, your crew uh, to and from Mars, right? Mm -hmm. And the payload that you need to deliver. So typically you have a, you know, very traditionally uh, you have a chemical stage. And so you have, you know, kind of like a, like a regular rocket. Um, you have, you know, fuel and oxidizer and you, you know, you, you they, they come into a combustion chamber and they, you know, they combust and then you exhaust that out of the nozzle and that's how you push things, mm -hmm. right? And and for, for Mars, you either, you're either pushing, uh, the deep space habitat where the crew lives in or a, a payload, which is, uh, what we call cargo, which is the lander that you need to land things on, on, on Mars surface. Hmm. Okay. And so, so, so the, you're, you're thinking about the energy, the type of energy it takes to actually get to Mars. Yeah. And, you're thinking and so about what you're going to attach to that energy. Yeah. And so, you know, if for the integrated stack, you have your propulsion elements and you have a payload and you have to get, be able to get that, all those things put, put together in orbit. And then you send that to Mars, and, you, and not only do you have to send it to Mars, it has to have enough energy for you to come back, too. So, if you mm. think about a big rocket, uh, you know, as a reference, like a you know, big rocket you're launching from, from Cape Canaveral, you know, that is a very short distance that, that they, it has to do comparatively to where, where, we, where we're needing to go to, to Mars. So, you, you can imagine the energy that it would need to, 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 to go all the way to Mars. It's pretty significant. Yeah. So what's the difference when you're thinking, we're, we're, we're talking at the system level now, we're talking mm -hmm. about what you need to actually build to get to Mars. What differs when you add the human element? Um, so when you had the human element, it, it's kind of different. Yeah. So if, if you think about, you know, the things we've sent to Mars, all the rovers and things like that, um, you know, those systems have a lifetime, right? But, you know, it's, it's electronics. Uh, it's, it's powered by battery or solar arrays or whatnot. Uh, they can take a much slower route to Mars, which is much more energy efficient, right? When you have a crew on board, you have other consideration because, you know, if you have a longer duration in space, that means you have to bring more food. That means you have to bring, you have a bigger space for the crew. You have to have exercise equipment for the crew. So, uh, what what that actually translates to is you have more payload, you have more mass, so you have to push. You're pushing more things, and mm. that we call it the the tyranny of the rocket equation. Um, <laughs> it's an exponential uh, um, uh, relationship. So you add one kilo, well, you know, you have one kilogram or one pound of, of of payload. It's not equivalent to one pound of of, of propellant. It's you know a, a much much bigger amount. So you can add up really quick. So for human. Uh, mission and you know, a little bit for the for the for the robotic too. You know, it's all about minimizing that payload mass as much as possible. <laughs> um, and these rovers that you know that JPL and are sending to Mars. I mean, they are very slim down, even though they're very beefy and they're very reliable. But they all are always looking for different ways to do you know manufacturing and, and and fabrications of these components to minimize the weight because weight is everything in space. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess does maybe this might be a ridiculous question, but does thinking about having larger systems to get to Mars mm -hmm. change 
your trajectory or or the your possibilities of how to get there? Um, it, it doesn't really change the trajectory, uh, okay. maybe a little bit, but it changes the way you think about how to get to those tra trajectory. Um, so everything we've sent to Mars so far, you're thinking about these, you know, basically your traditional rocket, you know, and these are, you know, we're getting much, much more efficient with them, but they're very, um, I won't say rudimentary, but these are, you know, systems that we've, 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 we've been using for, for decades, right? And mm -hmm. um, they have their limits in terms of how energy efficient, how much, you know, um, what we call specific impulse, uh, impulse that it can deliver. Uh, and specifically what measures kind of the, the how much, um, uh, how much energy you can get out of the same amount of propellant. So the higher you, higher that specific impulse is, the better you, your system at it, at being efficient. Um, so your traditional rocket, you're looking at maybe, you know, 300 to three, 400 seconds with a specific impulse. And, and there's a whole, you know, der derivation of equation. I don't, I don't exactly know why they, they use seconds as the, uh, as, as the units, but it falls out of the equation. <laughs> um, but for a traditional chemical, you're looking at three to 400 seconds of, of specific impulse. And, uh, you know, with starting to think about some of these other, you know, kind of lower thrust, uh, uh, and higher energy, um, uh, propulsion systems, uh, like the solar electric propulsion or a nuclear electric propulsion uh, mm. systems that can get you up to, you know, um, three to 4,000 seconds worth of specific impulse. So, uh, an increase of tenfold. Uh, the drawback of that is, is you ended up having to, uh, stretch your in space duration longer because it, you know, it, 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 it naturally is a lower thrust, um, uh, propulsion system. So mm -hmm. that's always the battle. You have a, you have a low thrust and a high thrust system. The high thrust system kind of, you know, is a really big kick to get you out and you can do a little, another kick to kind of slow you down at Mars. And that's relatively fast. Uh, low thrust, you, you, you kind of just like putzing along, you know, for a much longer duration, but ultimately it saves you a lot of propellant and it, you're, it's much more robust to, if you increase your, your pay, payload mass by a significant amount, it's, it's much more robust to, to be able to absorb some of that, uh, that growth. So. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of different factors you're considering. Yeah. And, and, and what actually we have been, uh, working, uh, in the last, uh, three or four years is actually kind of marrying the two, um, and we've been working on what we call a hybrid propulsion system. And it's kind of, it has both components. It has a, a high thrust and a low thrust system. So you use uh, the the high thrust when you're near near planets where they are actually most effective. And you, you you know, cause you're, you have to, you know, no matter what you, you have a long duration transit out to Mars and back anyway. Mm -hmm. So you might as well use some of that uh, time to do some thrusting and do some maneuvering. Um, and we've, we found that uh, the system that we've, we kind of, you know, been, um, analyzing has some advantages and some disadvantages, but that's how uh, all this and and that's the importance I think from from a you know what we what we always harp on from our from our branch the system analysis analysis perspective. We have to be able to understand the behavior of the system, uh, uh, especially under uncertainty and under changing requirements and that to understand what what you're actually selecting. You can't just say. Oh, because we have this very, very tiny optimized point design, we're going to select this, uh, this propulsion option. Well, what, what if your design changes a little bit? You know, how sensitive you are, your, your system is to that, to that change. And, and we need to have a better understanding of all that, uh, before we make, before we're able to make really informed decisions. Hmm. 
So, so I mean, the hybrid approach sounds very reasonable because you're considering the the flexibility. Naturally, when it comes to space flight, with flexibility comes mass. Now you're talking mm-hmm. about two different propulsion systems. Yeah, actually, it's it's kind of um, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's actually less in terms of mass. It's more on the complexity side. Interesting. Um, in terms of mass, like you know, given the same payload and the propulsion system. Um, it depends on the trajectory you fly. The chemical is going to be the heaviest, and then the hmm. full EP is going to be the the, the lightest. Um, but you know, you trade time with that too, right? You know, the 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 big rocket will will, will get there, get you there the fastest, but the but the slow boat uh, uh, electric propulsion will get there, you know, much slower. Um, so we're trying to, you know, so like for instance, uh, we have some planetary probes that are flying out there that uses electric propulsion and, and they've been very successful in doing that. But, you know, these things take years and years to get to wherever they're going. And so it's great for the, for the planetary probe, you know, because they don't really care about, you know, how long it takes to get there as long as they get there and do the science they need to do. But when you have crew on board, you can't really use that as a consideration, right? Because you have to, you can't just say, oh, we're going to have, you know, we're going to take three years just to get to Mars <laughs> in one way, right? It's, you know, it's a non-starter because all the food and, and everything you have to, um, to have to bring, unless we can figure out how to cryo-freeze people, I guess. <laughs> um, that would be a different ball game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, this is, that that's one of the key elements here. We're talking about sending humans to Mars. And that with that, you is one of the requirements is to, is speed. Yeah. You need to get there. Yeah, faster. you need to get there, uh, you know, in a reasonable amount of time before all your consumables uh, and things like that uh, um, run out, right? Or you yeah. have to bring in so much that you never ever even get started, right? Yeah. And so that's always the challenge, right? Because you, you know, with with exploring, uh, I always used kind of the analogy of of Chris, Christopher Columbus uh, sailing across the uh, the Atlantic Ocean. Right when they leave, they had there was n- there was no expectation that they have any sort of you know stoppage and things like that on you know during the voyage, right? And, yeah. and so they're hoping that you know fingers crossed that they can get all the way to to wherever they're going and and be resupply. So they are planning however however long they they uh, they were planning to to sail. Um, and you know, at, at least the good, good news for us is that at least we know where we're, where our destination instead of right. sailing into the unknown. But to kind of you know, to give you some context, I mean, uh, Columbus sailed uh, in you know the late 1400s, and they they got to the I think the first trip they they left the Spanish coast and got to I think the Bahamas. That you know was like. 6,500 kilometers worth of distance they, they, they travel, you know, across the Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean in like 30 something days. If, if you use that same distance they travel as, you know, if you, if you say, okay, that's the same distance that, you know, from Earth to Mars, the moon, which is the furthest humans has ever been, is only two and a half miles off the coast. Oh. So give you some scale. <laughs> so, in all the human existence, we've only gone two and a half miles off of the Spanish coast. Wow. And we're trying to get across the Atlantic Ocean to the new world. Yeah. And trying to plan for that. And and so that that's kind of gives you that that scale and 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 I think people, you know, think, oh yeah, we you know, we because we send probes, you know, and, and things like that, it should be easy, but it's it's not at all because it's it's one of the most, I think, fundamentally the most challenging thing. That's why we've been looking at it for since the since the Apollo time, time right? Because yeah. it's it is that challenging. 
Well, t- tell me a little bit more about what what is so challenging about it when it comes to um, the orbital mechanics of it all. Mm-hmm. The, the, how how you're limited with your opportunities. How you know you you can't really turn around. Yeah, so we we are you know very much governed by what you know the orbit mechanics and the gravity and and yeah. and, and, and I I struggle a lot you know talking to just you know people you know like my family and things like that like what I do it's it's not easy to 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 like have them understand that so I like to use the the, the train analogy and you know imagine like uh you have you have uh, you know miniature train sets or big train sets i don't know what you, what you want to play with but you know earth and mars are moving around uh uh the sun like like they are on train tracks you know circular or ellipsoid train tracks right so it's spinning around but they're moving at different speed right so your goal of getting from one to the other is you're you're standing on one of the train track on the trains, you know, moving with the train Mm -hmm. and you're trying to throw an egg across to, and have it land on the other train without it breaking. Right. And so, so it's, it's all, it's not only do you have to like have enough energy to throw it, you also have to have enough energy to slow it down so that when it, when it, when it, when it gets to the train, it, it, it doesn't, you know, just splatter. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of like a basic analogy of how you you know what it would take. So you can think you can think about you know imagine like um, if the trains are on you know opposite ends of the the circle, right? You know they're not in sync, yeah. right? You're not going to be able to, you know, y- you could you would just take a lot more energy to throw and to and it were, you, you know and to slow down, mm-hmm. right? And so you you're basically what we're doing with Mars in terms of mission opportunities is that we're waiting for the train to kind of align itself um to the prop you know r- proper orientations for us to kind of m- maximize the use of the velocity the the speed of our train mm-hmm. and maximize the speed you know on on arrival of of you know the the Mars train kind of uh, yeah what in, you're in trying to do is you're trying to limit how throw how hard you have to throw this right you have the how hard you throw there and you have to limit how far hard you have to push back when when you get to Mars mm-hmm. uh, I remember seeing uh, it was a great video that uh, Mythbusters did um, where they uh, they had a cannon strapped to the back of a truck and they 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 drove it at fifty miles an hour and they shot the cannon out the back and it kind of just fell I to saw the ground that one. yeah. You're basically doing that at Mars, right? And oh. and because you want to kind of just like be the same relative velocity because you're moving fast compared to Mars, right? And you have to fire your engines, you know, fire your rocket mm-hmm. and your cannon the other way to kind of slow down and drop at Mars. So you want to minimize that as well because that's all, you know, we, we call it delta V, the change in velocity. Mm. Uh, and that drives how much propellant you need. That drives how much your your propulsion system has to be in terms of, you know, thrust and size and all that. And it kind of snowballs into this giant vehicle that you have to take to Mars. So the you know, minimizing that is 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 the goal, right? And that's why we have very these these very what we call conjunction style um trajectory that kind of minimizes that uh, energy okay so. so how often do those opportunities come up uh typically the earth to mars uh, scenario cycle is about 26 months so every 26 ish month uh you get one of those uh opportunity that's why you know for jpl their rovers they they launch every two ish years or so uh, every 26 months or so we have these kind of conjunction opportunities now is there a factor you have to add into this whenever you're looking at these opportunities for the fact that humans are going to be on this vehicle mm-hmm. and that you're going to have to 
return at some point. Well, yeah, that's that's always that's always the 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 the, the, the trick, right? People always think, you know, oh, one way, right? No, we have the, you know, it's it's a round trip. So back to the train analogy, you know, once you get to Mars, you you know, in order to minimize the energy coming home, you have to kind of again wait for the train to kind of get back into the proper alignment mm. for you to come home. So typically, a conjunction style um, uh, uh, full round trip mission. You are you're on average about uh, 180 to 260 days, uh, maybe up to 300 days, you, you know, out to, to Mars tra transit time, and you stay on the surface or stay at Mars for three to 500 days, waiting for the planet to realign, and then you come home on the same low minimum energy uh, um, uh, trajectory. So, yeah. yeah, so you have a whole round trip about three years is is typical, very very typical. Um, now with different technology, uh, high and low thrust, uh, those duration do fluctuates here and there a little bit. Um, but typically you're looking at 900 to, you know, 1100 days of total, uh, what we call time away from earth, because that's, you know, the, the days start counting when you push the button to leave earth, yeah. right? There might be more time the crew has to spend near earth to you know they have to launch they have to get into the spacecraft and get everything checked out before they can even do that so you have to kind of back that out even further um you know to to get all you know the total crew time in space which may be a little little more maybe 100 days more than than when the, the total mars mission um some opportunities uh mission opportunities are, are a little shorter some are longer because the earth and mars uh orbit are not perfectly circular around the sun so they do have variations in in the uh um in the distance so some take a little longer some's a little fast some's a little faster so yeah, a lot of lot to kind of it, there's just you know a lot of variability and um, and we have to do we do have to take that into consideration um, because we've we've had we've gone into some you know bad rabbit holes and and oh you know this mission opportunity is really really easy let's design to that ah well if you do that then if you miss it you can't go ever again or you can't oh. go for. 20 years you have that. to have some flexibility right the design exactly of your systems and, and, to and meet these different you, yeah and and there's one of the things that we harp is is we need to be robust with with our design because we understand that uh whatever we plan um there's always a risk of 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 slippage like schedule slippage yeah and and we need to be robust to that and and that's a, a challenge right because you're already design designing a system that is you know at the hairy edge of the performance and um, you're trying to get everything out of the system you you already can, and if you try to build in robustness to that, you know it's 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 a challenge because it, it ends up being really big and bigger than it needs to be for, um, you know it's always the, you know and in every system analysis and and even aerospace uh, all aerospace you know actually not just aerospace but engineering in general there's this uh, debate of robustness versus op optimization right hmm. you know optimizing you know onto a very very you know you know uh, being able to optimize to something um, versus being robust to changes, and then that 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 battle has always been in, in ongoing. So, yeah, because optimization is equal to efficiency, but robustness is equal to reliability. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so you know, 
And and there's a balance to that. You can't you know go full bore one or the other, right? And so, yeah, you you know you could theoretically design a vehicle to fly every single mission opportunity, but that's not realistic, right? Because you would end up you will be so unoptimized for every single opportunity that yeah that that it it you end up with a system that doesn't necessarily closes from a other programmatic perspective, right? What so, a challenge! My gosh. Yeah. Uh, what about launch opportunities? You know, uh, launch slips happen mm -hmm. all the time. Right. It's just a regular part of yeah. space flight. And so. so, so that that is the other challenge. And that we, we talked, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, the additional time that you need to uh, account for, right? So, yeah. you know, so if you know your your launch your Earth departure date, right, is certain, you know, to maximize your mission opportunity. You got to plan for the, the launch slippage, right? So instead of saying, okay, the crew is launching three days before that Earth departure date, you're going to have to launch, you're going to have to plan to launch your crew a month, two months before that. That way, huh. if this slips, you can have that. Uh, and and we have a we have some folks in the agency who's who's done some fantastic work uh, on launch reliability launch reliability and they've done you know some great analysis to show um you know in order to get to a you know 99 probability of of actually getting you to this particular date you know you have to backtrack and figure out how much how many days you need to plan to to um uh to launch you know the launch window basically yeah. so uh it's it's a little different than like saying going to the iss or 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 even back then the 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 Apollo program where, you, you know, a little slippage, you, you end up, you know, you can, you know, the lunar cycle is only 28 days, right? And so mm. if you miss that magical opportunity, it's, you know, you, may, you wait a month and then you, you go, uh, it's, it's not you wait 28 months uh, yeah. or 26 months, right? And so it's, yeah, you have to be robust in that, but there's a limit to that, right? And, and because you don't want to say, okay, we're launching our crew you know, six months in advance and they sit around in orbit waiting for their opportunity to go. Right. Right. And that's, that's unrealistic. So it's, it's again, back to the optimized versus robust. This is the, the risk versus, you know, how risky you want, you want to, want to be, right. Is your, is a 99th percentile probability good enough? Is 90th is 70th. I don't know. Right. That's something mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, it's, it's a, it's a challenge for, for, uh, both engineers and and the program managers to to understand the risk and understand you know where we can uh, absorb the risk and where we can't. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're you're thinking about this this wide spectrum of possibilities. You're thinking about you know how early do we have to launch mm -hmm. and how how long is it reasonable for the crew to hang out in low Earth orbit uh, until they take that Mars mm -hmm. injection burn and go right. to Mars, what's reasonable there? What are the propulsion um, technologies that we can consider yeah. and what factors, um, you know, into that kind of design? It, you're just thinking about this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, right and, and it's a it's it's an integrated system uh, and, and, and campaign look, right? And mm -hmm. and that's that's more so than just doing like the individual design for, for systems. And the other, you know, throw you and throw you another wrench. Is that, you know, the longer you wait in orbit, the more your systems degrade. Uh, you you have you might have propellant who are which are cryogenically, you know, where cryogenic temperatures, so they might be boiling off. Um, so you have to top it off. And there's a whole host of uh, of, of discussions and on that. And that's why there's, you know, um, there's some discussion about, you know, 
different orbits where you do your do your aggregation, um, different orbits where you do your rendezvous and things like that, so that it's it's not Leo. The lower Leo lower Earth orbit is is great because it, you can throw a lot of stuff into it uh, from a launch vehicle pers perspective. I think it's lower, but it's a terrible uh, environment for a spacecraft to hang out long term, especially a big spacecraft. All right, the thermal environment is 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 pretty harsh from all of the um, the radiation from you know coming actually reflecting off the Earth hmm. um, from a thermal perspective is is not not great, but it's also a lot of orbital debris uh, because you know all the stuff that's up there, so there's a higher chance of that. Um, the benefit is that you're still in the you know, radiation van on the radiation belt, so you, you're shielded from that. So there's there's a trade. You know, if you want to go higher orbit, which is you know sometimes our preference because um, you know you can get out of the thermal environment, you can get out of the 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 orbital debris environment, um, but but you you take the hit on the radiation for so for for some of your system. But the benefit is that since we're designing to get a system to go to Mars, all of that system has to be radiation. You know rated and, and protected anyway so it's not a huge um uh issue with the exception of of, of solar solar panels which um, do degrade in radiation environment um, so you don't want that to to sit in that radiation environment for too long or else it uh it degrades so that you can't generate enough power so so where are some of those higher orbits that we're considering um so you know what we've been you know Talking a lot about uh, uh, orbits around the moon, uh, yeah, orbits around the moon. Uh, mm -hmm. The Arnos program is, you know, with the with the gateway has, is out, out there uh, in a in a near rectilinear halo orbit uh, uh, around the moon. Uh, we have these uh, Lagrangian points that um, a lot of folks are very interested in in understanding. And and what what those points really are is is if you think about from gravity, you know, pulling each other. You know, the Earth and the Moon are in a in a in a you know gravitational pole system. So the, the launching points are just points in the Earth-Moon system that are, that the gravity between the Earth and the Moon is relatively equal. Hmm. So you're not really being pulled by the Earth, you're, you're being pulled by Earth and the Moon roughly equally. And so those are, those are points that are of interest because it's, uh, you know, once you get into those points, um, you know, it's easy to kind of get out of them. And so it, you know, if you have a bunch of stuff stacked there, it doesn't cost a lot of energy for it to go out and you know, leave that orbit again to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so it's great to, for aggregating a lot of, a lot of things. And so, uh, for, you know, what we've been looking at the last couple of years, um, with the assumption is always that we would launch our, all of our, um, elements and, and components uh into uh that you know kind of like uh we call it we just call it cis lunar orbit you know a lunar orbit yeah. uh just to be generic because we haven't really picked a particular orbit uh that we want to be in um it could be the same one that the gateway is at um that way we can have some synergy with that program um right uh but we aggregate all that stuff there but but, but for earth departure you don't really want to depart from that uh, particular orbit because Your you rectilinear do yeah orbit okay yeah you don't want to de you could uh depart from from those kept you know those lagrangian orbit but uh it, you have you get a much more benefit from the earth gravity if you're leaving from a you know earth orbiting gravity uh, or earth orbiting orbit uh, so oh. basically what you want to do is you want to come back and kind of swing by the earth on your way out uh that would be much more uh you know efficient to to be able to do that so the assumption is always we come back to a high earth orbit or we call lunar distance high earth orbit so huh. it's a big big orbit 
that comes by the Earth, and it comes when it goes out. And uh, so, orbits are always, always defined by a perigee and an apogee. A perigee is the is the closest to the main body, and apogee is the uh, um, uh, distance to the you know furthest away. Uh, so your perigee is close to the Earth, but your apogee is actually at lunar distance. So um, a lot of our trajectory, we, we've we actually been doing a lot of analysis and, and building a lot of these very intricate trajectory for 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 how we do Earth departure to try, try to minimize the energy we need. Hmm. Right? Typically, you know, when you do your what we call the trans Mars injection burn, so burning for Mars, you come by Earth and you fire on your your rocket engine and you burn really hard and you 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 kick out there. Um, which is great and it's fast, uh, but it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of propellant. Um, so uh, we were, you know, we're, when when designing our, our hybrid low and high thrust combination uh, type of propulsion system, we're trying to minimize how much of that chemical burn that we have to do. Um, so we would we design up these uh, pretty intricate uh, trajectories in which we come back into this high Earth orbit where the apogee is at lunar distance, and we phase it so that. You know, after the crew gets on the, on board the the spacecraft, we target the moon. We do a lunar flyby, and and that kicks us out to heliocentric space. Oh, and, and then that gives us enough energy to come out. And that this only really works for the for the for the for the hybrid because technically, once you get flung out by the moon, you don't have enough energy to get to Mars yet. But with the low thrust, you can then use the time you have in space to thrust and to kind of keep pushing and pushing harder and harder and harder to, all, to get for you to catch up to Mars. Okay, so, so this moon slingshot thing mm -hmm. works only if you have the high, the the solar electric yeah, propulsion. Yeah, uh, electric propulsion give system. you the extra yeah. boost. So uh, and because yeah, um, or else you know you you, you know this orbit. You know, if you, if you just slingshot around the moon, you don't have any more propulsion. You eventually fall back into Earth, and little uh -huh. like, like maybe like a year later, you catch back on Earth again. But so you you go on a little tour of the of the or Earth orbits area, but you don't yeah you don't you're not really going any anywhere particular in particular. So yeah, so so that it brings up a good point. Mm -hmm. So let's let's say for whatever reason mm -hmm. you do that Mars or that Moon slingshot, mm -hmm. but your solar electric propulsion doesn't kick in. Mm -hmm. Now you got to swing back. You're hanging out in space for a year. Until yeah, yeah, that's always the challenge, right? right. People, uh, you know, this, this, this quote unquote abort. I think people, uh, you know, like, in, you know, not their, not their fault. Like, when, when people say abort, you know, everybody have a good understanding of what that is, right? Because we have all these abort scenarios, like, you know, oh, you're coming back home pretty quickly, uh, and things like that. But yeah, man, when you're in heliocentric space, um, it's it's not that simple. It's and it's mm. it's it takes a lot of energy to 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 come to to quote unquote turn around and burn home. Um, for your for your kind of like a low thrust, if you just do a lunar gravity assist, let's say you know in your scenario your your electric propulsion system just craps out and doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, the benefit is that you still have your chemical propulsion system, so you could theoretically, and and you're not, you're and in terms of your orbital energy, you're not that far from from Earth. So we haven't really done the analysis to to understand how quickly you can get back. That's really really dependent on the orbit, the particular date you're looking at, and things like that. Hmm. But we do have some analysis done on the high thrust side of things. You know, after you do your big burn, um, you know, can you, you know, I guess. In those scenarios, it's like, oh, if a crew has some issues, they need to come home. How? What are the options, right? And and mm -hmm. honestly, it's pretty limited. Even with like, um, you know, th th this is one of the benefits of you know, people have touted for the uh, the nuclear uh, thermal propulsion system, which has is is kind of like a 
It's kind of like the chemical, but instead of combustion in the uh, using the propellant, you're using a nuclear reactor to you know heat up the fuel and expend it out. So it has a higher specific impulse, but you have to carry a nuclear reactor around, which you know has its own it has its own yeah challenges. Yeah, um, but they talk about these abort scenarios because because it has the the efficiency that you know um, that the chemical system doesn't have, but. That's still, you know, once you kick out, and especially those high thrust trajectory, you're on much, much higher energy. So, in order to, for you to turn around and 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 burn back this, burn back towards Earth, it's not a straight shot. You know, it's not like you know me, you know, doing a U turn and coming home. <laughs> there's there's no uh, there's no uh, U turn really to be done. You almost have to burn enough so that you fly by, you do a really close swing by of, of the sun and come back and catch back up on Earth uh, with Earth again. And that, that could take, you know, a year or so or six months, um, you know, depending on when that burn happens. So um, the, the the challenge we've ha always had when, when these type of questions come up is in what scenario does, do you have a crew, uh, I guess, crew health situation where, you know, the full, you know, Mars mission three years round trip is not acceptable, but a six month one year return is acceptable, right? What 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 scenario are you thinking about? Because, you know, I I actually I don't I don't know what the scenario is, right? Yeah, yeah. and so that that's that's the I think that and it's important to have that discussion uh, because we need to understand where these questions are coming from, and and the the people's concerns about 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 all this and understanding like the scenarios in which they want to protect for. And this is again, back to the risk thing, right? If we want to protect for certain scenarios, we can run the analysis to show what it would cost, right? And then it's up to the decision maker to, 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 to you know, weigh the cost benefit analysis, say, do we want to protect for this or not? What are the probability of this actually happening? Mm -hmm. and, and, and we, from a system analysis perspective, need to show you know, okay, if you want to protect for this risk, here are the implication and how that, you know, how that system change impacts the rest of the uh, the, the other systems that are, you know, related, right? Yeah. So. This goes back to what you're thinking about, which is this wide range of possibilities when yeah. you're thinking about propulsion technology, when you're thinking about possible trajectories or and the orbital mechanics of it all, mm -hmm. how, how to design a mission profile, however long it may be. That's, uh, you know, they're all worthy discussions to have, but I think we're, really what it comes down to is a, a mission to Mars is a risk, you know? Yeah, like you can't, absolutely. Like, you can't make it risk-free. Yeah, just absolutely. Not, that would be amazing, mm -hmm. but it's just not the way it is. Yeah. Uh, it's like going skydiving, right? It's, yeah. There's some inherent risk in that, and there's nothing you can do to remove all the risk, right? And so yeah. uh, we can sit here and talk about, you know, and and engineer and design system to be as risk uh free as possible but it will not be zero percent risk right i mean mm -hmm. inherently i mean just getting on the rocket and going into space is probably the riskiest part of you know could be one of the riskiest part of of the whole endeavor right and mm -hmm. so um at some point we are we will we have to be willing to take risk right and i think one of the challenges we have as an agency uh especially when it comes to the mars program is that number one? It's 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 so challenging, right? We've kind of established how difficult it it is. Um, so we need to have these hard discussion about risk and 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 cost and schedule and programmatics and things like that. But um, but it's it's also 
double challenging because it's so far away always, it seems like, yeah. right? And it, it, it's hard to make decisions now, the hard decisions that, you know, might not have impact till for 10, 15 years down the road. Let's talk about the the moon to Mars, mm -hmm. what, what we're what we're striving for right now. Yep. You, you already mentioned a little bit about the Artemis program mm -hmm. and what we can learn about the near rectilinear halo orbit and some of the technologies needed for gateway. Mm -hmm. What will that help inform when it comes to some of these propulsion technologies and, and some of the ways that we're thinking about how the moon can help us get to Mars? Yeah, from a propulsion perspective, I mean, uh, that's one of the benefit, right? We're, we're, you know, for, for the for the you know what we what we've been looking at the the subcam hybrid is that the electric propulsion thrusters that we are you know that we are planning on potentially using for for Mars transit is is being planned for the gateway as well mm -hmm. right and so there is some synergy there and there's some you know obviously there's will be some challenges with the development cycle because the power level is totally different right um, but uh, there's you know you can you kind of draw a little family tree back up to that 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 particular um, uh, design. Um, I think the big uh, thing for 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 the Artemis program is is kind of how the private part uh, private public partnership is 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 kind of you know unfolding in front of our eyes. Hmm. I think getting kind of the framework for that for this private public partnership you know, as part of the Artemis program, understanding how we can leverage a lot of things that are happening in the in the in the in the in the industry in the private sector can really inform and really drive how we think about designing the mission and think about how we um, either procure or, or, or um, um, uh, leverage all the things that are happening. And, and you know, obviously the private uh, industry have quite different objectives compared to what the government you know, and NASA wants to do. We want to explore, we want to, you know, uh, expand our knowledge and, and 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 really drive and push the techn technological boundaries, um, and so that part is has to be the forefront of what we what we try to plan for, and I think we are. Um, and but I think the industry, in terms of their um, um, push for innovation in in areas that the governments are might not be interested in, you know, is also very beneficial because they are very interesting in. And streamlining the manufacturing process, uh, being more efficient with their design cycle, and 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 how robust their systems are, and the way they do their testing. It's a lot we can learn from the commercial way of operating things. Yeah, by I, implementing a commercial partnership. Yeah, I did the yeah, just just under you know having uh, synergy with a lot of things they're doing and leveraging some of the stuff they're you know and, and lever having um, just just. Dialogue and just understanding how they're doing their, you know, business model, if you want to call it, um, and how we can learn from that, right? And and change the way we're doing um, testing and doing uh, development and things like that. You know, in in all industry and in and and tech in in particular, you know, you need to have these kind of um, uh, breakthrough and these uh, um, uh, industry kind of like breaking, you know. A moments, right, and and to, to kind of drive us out of these kind of complacency that we're in, and, mm -hmm. and you know, at some point we got to decide, yeah, we got we want to go to Mars, um, and we want to be able to do th certain things, and we just have to, you know, push for it. Yeah, so it's that there is a balance I feel between innovation, you mm -hmm. know, trying new things and and doing things a certain way, and maybe the tradition does have a certain benefit of 
precedence. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it informs what is possible because we've as done long stuff. as we learn from our history and mm -hmm. we, you know, we learn from the mistakes we've 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 made, right? You know, struggle with that from every day. You know, to make sure that I think this way. Is it because I'm being informed by data and and I'm being informed by by good sound analysis, or am I? You know, leaning this way because of my, you know, inherent bias or inherent perception of a preconceived notion of of what the system is, right? And yeah. So, um, and and that struggle is is you know is 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 real um, in at all levels, and that's something that we have to be kind of very cognizant of. Yeah. So when you're thinking about solving these problems with with team members, mm -hmm. um, finding a way to think efficiently and making sure that you're considering all of these different things but not getting too bogged down yeah. by these decisions that that's a balance just in and of itself not Abs just not just designing these trajectories and, yeah. and thinking about these systems but coming to a consensus on how to proceed yeah absolutely and and you know it's great that we you know our branch particularly have had you know every you know year or so we get one or two new hires and we have a bunch of interns that come in so it's always great when they come in with fresh perspective, they have not been in the mud, you know, making these, you know, trajectories or analysis and things like that. So they come in and say, wait, why did you do it that way? And we go, oh, yeah, why did we do it that way? <laughs> <laughs> and we need that, right? Because, you know, you know, you don't want to end up in a, in a, in a, in a kind of a environment in which new people coming in you know, are conforming, you know, you, they're expected to conform to whatever standard you have. You want them to come in with a fresh mind, with critical uh, view and, and, and to, to provide us with um, a different perspective. And that's, I think, the most invaluable thing we have, especially here in NASA because of, you know, our, our notoriety and, and people want to come to work at NASA. And it's yeah. a great thing. And we need to keep hiring. We need to keep these people coming in and young minds and 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 really get them engaged, um, not just in school, but you know before. And so I think a lot of the public outreach things that we we do is is extremely important. I think NASA is still one of the most sought after thing. People say, "Oh, you work at NASA? That's amazing!" <laughs> um, and and it is. Uh, you know, I'm I'm thrilled to go to work every day. Um, and and we need that kind of enthusiasm, and, um, you know, to continue for and 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 the people coming in are you know they're brilliant. Um, and you, we need to be make sure that we are doing the right thing and doing doing things that you know um, to to make them feel like they're empowered to to um, change the status quo. Yeah. So so thinking about what we've discussed today, thinking about the the difficulties of of uh, um, rendezvousing mm -hmm. with with Mars and with the different technologies that we're considering, reaching out to those people mm -hmm. who who want to come work at NASA and and fight to innovate mm -hmm. and fight to to change the way that yep. things are doing what are what is a message that you want to send to them it's you know it is a very exciting time right because because uh we have this whole moon to mars enterprise now mm -hmm. um the arnos program is spinning up and we are going to you know go to the surface of the moon to to do some very exciting science um and with the goal you know, on the horizon of always going to Mars. So these systems that we are developing um, and and partnering with you know industry uh, partners to to develop are going to set lay the foundation for what we do at Mars, right? And so um, it's very important for us to not only do the mission uh, to to the moon, but also be 
very, very cognizant of that. These are laying the stepping stones. So we need to learn as much as we can mm-hmm. uh, as we do these things uh, to to inform uh, th- all the things that we're going to be planning on doing when we, you know, build the spacecraft to go to Mars, right? And so uh, I think it's it's a very exciting time for, for NASA. Well, it's an exciting time. And, yeah. and, it's, and the, the future is is uh, exciting yeah. because I think every year is just going to be is another step closer. Yeah, and and you know, it's like I said, you know, all, I think for throughout this uh, podcast is it's a challenging problem, and it is probably one of the one of humanity's greatest challenge. You know, and and I think if there's a will, we you know, I, I don't doubt that we can achieve it. Um, but it is a challenge, and and we have we have some of the brightest people on 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 the planet trying to solve it. Um, and you know, it's 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 a it's a great thing and it's it's something that um you know i think it's going to be so rewarding for for all of humanity you know it's one of those you know you think about people talk about you know well what does nasa do besides sending people to 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 space you know we do these innovations that we we have to develop so that we can send people to mars they will have long lasting effect on our society and and we might not know what that is till years later, but it will. And, and, and that's kind of the challenge from, from a, you know, quote unquote PR perspective, right? You know, what, you know, costing X amount of dollars to send people to Mars. So what is that? You know, we could have spent that money here on earth, but it's like, you don't know what you're going to get out of it, but we know that it's going to be impactful because we, we have, we have a track record of, of all the great things that have spun off from NASA technologies that we've, you know, came out of the lunar program and the space station program. Right. And the Mars, you know, uh, um, program will be, an exponential in terms of how challenging it is, right? We're only two and a half miles off the coast of Spain right now. Yeah, we're going all the way to the uh, to 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 America, right? And so there will, you know, whatever we come up with in terms of solution and technology advancement will be, uh, I think, societal changing. Yeah. So. Well, I'm glad you're on the team thinking about this, <laughs> and uh, looking forward to bringing on others to, yeah. to continue it. It's gonna. It's been great work, and this has been a fascinating conversation, Patrick. Well, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. yeah it's been great. Awesome. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Hope you're enjoying our Mars series. You can go to nasa.gov slash podcast to check out more of our Mars episodes uh, and, of course, many of the other podcasts that we have across the whole agency. If you want to talk to us, we're on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show or maybe ask a question. Make sure to mention it's for us at Houston. We have a podcast. Thanks to Will Flato, Pat Ryan, Heidi Lavelle, Belinda Polito, and Jane Jennings for their part in the podcast. As always, shout out to former podcast team members Alex Perryman, Nora Moran, and Jennifer Hernandez for their help in the original episode. This episode originally aired July 3rd, 2020 as episode 151. Thanks again to Patrick Chai for taking the time to come on the show. Next week, for episode four in our Mars series, we chat with Paul Kessler about the design considerations for a deep space transport that will take humans between Earth and Mars. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.